0: I'm Caleb Zacharin, assistant editor of the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Jane Bunker, director of Cornell University Press and president of the Association of University Presses. From November 13th through the 17th, we here at the New Books Network will be celebrating my favorite holiday, University Press Week. It might sound silly, but University Presses changed my life. The universe of books has little depth but the ocean of quality published by University Presses. Cornell University Press, in particular, has emerged as one of the most innovative presses making Jane the perfect steward for the AOP. In this interview, we will discuss everything university presses. Any scholar looking to publish with the U.P. should listen to learn about how university presses are evolving in 2023 and beyond. Jane, thanks for joining me today on the New Books Network.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Caleb. Really happy to be here.
0: Of course. You know, this is, as I said, University Press Week is coming up. Uh, You know, this will will air just before it, but, you know, we want everyone to, to get ready, anyone who's listening to it. You know, definitely go and check out the University Association of University Presses page, uh, and also you know many of the other university presses participating. You'll you'll be seeing stuff on uh, social media platforms and all over. So so definitely get involved in some way, whatever possible. I'm sure we'll talk more about how people can do that. But before talking about Press Week, you know, I just wonder if you could introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, and how you got your start in the world of university presses.
1: Of course, I will do that. Uh, and then I'm going to turn it back to you because I want to know what you meant by saying university presses changed your life. Uh, because they they certainly changed mine. Um, let's see. Uh, how did I get my start? So I studied philosophy, uh, both in undergraduate and uh then I went to get a PhD in philosophy at Fordham University, and I was assigned in my first year uh to a research assistantship at the journal International Philosophical Quarterly, which was published on campus at the time. And so I was the graduate fellow for the journal for two years. And what that consisted of was uh, some light copy editing and proofreading and work on indexes. And uh, it was incredibly enjoyable work. It was very familiar work. I had worked in libraries. My father uh, was a librarian. and uh I ended up leaving Fordham a few years later I did not love teaching I did not love writing but I I maintain a deep deep love of reading and research and so I thought you know I think I want to get into publishing and I ended up upstate and my first job was at SUNY Press in Albany New York the State University of New York Press and um i was fortunate enough to acquire philosophy books for them for for 13 14 years for for a long time (laughs) and uh really really loved that work also acquired in psychology women's studies education um and so books are in my blood and i really feel incredibly fortunate to do what I do. And so uh, before we move on, I want to hear how University Press has changed your life.
0: Yeah. So so I think the story for me personally, it goes back to uh, maybe when I was five or six years old, my mom has been a children's book author and worked in children's books for basically my entire life and even before I was born. And some of my best memories as a kid are my mom once a month would get these huge boxes of like all of the new children's books that were coming out um some she could get other books too and she would let me open it and i would like go through it and it was like a kid on christmas once a month and i would just get to go through all these books so i got became like an obsessive book person where anytime i ever in high school and and in college anytime i ever had any spare dollars i would go and spend all my money on books i really became especially in college just a big non-fiction reader uh and I, the the vast majority of the books that I would read and buy were from university presses. Um, and I, I learned that this was, you know, I guess not, not everyone is into university press books, but I just like loved the unbelievable depth and the fact that because of the peer review process that university presses do, you can really trust the information that's in there and trust it in a way like you, when you're reading a university press book, you know, that this person spent years working on it. You know, I think the reason they saved my life is because I didn't know. I was just an aimless paralegal, not sure what I wanted to do with my life. Uh, And I became a fanatical New Books Network listener and continued to buy nonstop university press books, reading them. And it's really become my life. And I just absolutely love love that i get to read and talk to authors all the time and it just is it's so much fun so i don't know if i was necessarily like on the edge somewhere but you know it definitely has become the thing that i spend my days engaging with and doing so i hope that's enough of an answer
1: what a great story i i couldn't have said it better myself yeah thank you for telling that story and shout out to the moms because uh, my mom taught me how to read when I was two because she didn't, I have five older brothers and sisters. And she said, if I have one more kid come home from first grade with those Dick and Jane books, I'm, you know, going to lose it. So she had read this book called How to Teach Your Baby to Read and used flashcards and like phonetics. And uh, that was it. I was off and running from two. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways,
0: you got to you got to start somewhere. You got to start early. And I think like, you know, books are, are very... So- so there, It's like the first magical experience, like this idea that this that these weird symbols can ha- have such such deeper meaning, and you can learn about the history of the entire the entire world through them. It's just it's just incredible. Um, and you know, university presses are are so so much a part of that. It's, you know, it doesn't exist without it. And we're we'll obviously talk more about that. But you know, just just for those who, who don't know, what is the association of university presses, and what's its primary purpose?
1: Yeah, so this is my uh my volunteer gig. I'm currently the president of the association and uh what it is is it's the Professional Association for University Presses. So, like the AMA is for doctors, the American Medical Association, uh the AU Presses is the Association for University Presses, not just in the USA, but uh also globally. I believe we have membership from I think it's 16 different countries and um Uh, 160 member presses um, and, you know, the association advances the essential role of uh, a global community of publishers whose mission is to ensure the academic excellence and uh, to ensure academic excellence and cultivate knowledge. Um, So the primary purpose is to act in the best interest of all its member presses, um, help promote our collective work, which is considerable, thousands of volumes every year, Uh, provide guidance and resources to member presses and individuals working at those presses. A very big part of the association's work is to provide professional development opportunities uh, to all staff at member presses. So you get networking, career mentoring. Um, There is an annual meeting every year where we get together and um, uh, learn from one another. Three days of panels and um, Uh, listening to plenary speakers, that sort of thing. Um, The association's strategic plan focuses on four main goals, collaboration, advocacy, research, and education. Um, And so really all of the work of the association kind of centers around one of those buckets. Um, Oh, there's also a permanent central office staff, which is headed up by uh, our terrific executive director, Peter Berkeley. Um, And that staff works in concert, though, with a really large contingent of staff from member presses who volunteer to serve on committees. There are 17 uh, committees of the association that really kind of fuel that work of of the plan. Um, And uh, anyone can volunteer. And um, it's a really terrific way to uh, learn. That seems to be the theme. That's going to be the theme today, learning and knowledge.
0: Great. Those are great themes, as always. You know, it's celebrating. Uh, you know, learning. Le- I mean, and, and I think that that's so much what university presses uh, really help to promote. And, and, and you know, if you could sort of boil it down to one sort of goal, what, what what are you hoping hoping that UP Week can be about this this year? What's the focus for you?
1: Ah, uh, so each year. Um... We back up a little bit. University Press Week was uh, established in 2012. It was part of the activities marking the 75th anniversary of the association. Um, uh, fun fact, the idea actually originated from a 1978 Jimmy Carter presidential declaration. Uh, Jimmy Carter actually said there should be a University Press Week. Uh, and so we started doing it. I don't know why we waited till 2012, but at least we uh, started doing it. And um, this year's theme is hashtag speak up. And we chose that as a way to represent the work of university presses, uh, the work that we're doing to actively engage with current events and, and social issues. Uh, so, These works are timely. They're authoritative. They're not just written for the ivory tower tower elite. Um, Subject areas cover, um, gosh, they engage with really diverse topics. Um, The authors are a diverse bunch. We have a commitment to ensuring that the voices uh, that speak up are inclusive and fully representative. Um, There's a focus on historically underrepresented peoples. And the key activities of University Press Week include highlighting the work of member presses, of course, Um, there is a blog tour, which offers a broad perspective on how individual presses are creating opportunities for hearing underrepresented voices, uh, to encourage dialogue about various important issues, uh, to support knowledge and expertise. And in particular, a real key focus that is emerging is um, building community around ideas. Uh, There's also a gallery of work from 103 participating processes. That's the largest uh, participation we've ever had. It's fantastic. The work is um, shown across multiple categories, from science to poetry, uh, history, biography, economics, uh, sociology, philosophy. So if people would like to uh, peruse that gallery, I hope we have an opportunity to. Include the link.
0: Um, Absolutely.
1: Yeah, great.
0: Yeah, that, that will be in the show notes. And, and are there any of those those books in particular that, that you'd like to highlight that you're featuring this year?
1: Yes. Um, it's it's impossible to choose favorites, but I was sort of scrolling through that list last night and I was really impressed to see that. I'm um, going to go back to my uh, the press where I started, SUNY has a book on Arturo Schomburg, um, uh, a biography about his roots and connections to uh, the Latin American and Black communities. Um, many people know that uh, the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in New York City is named after him. So this is kind of the authoritative look at his life. That looks amazing. Uh, then from the UK, University of Manchester Press has a book, uh, a really fascinating book called Uh, the value of a whale on the illusions of a green capitalism. And I was not even sure I knew what green capitalism was, but as I started to dig into it after seeing this book and realized it's that idea that um, maybe we can help uh, advance environmental causes by focusing uh, where we put our capital. So for instance, if you do social choice, if you have TIA craft, that kind of thing. Um, But this woman is critiquing, just how uh, impactful that can be. And so that was a really interesting take. Uh, Columbia has a great, great book on, um, I think it's called The Sisterhood, about a group of Black women writers, really influential Black women writers like Toni Morrison and Audre Lorde, Alice Walker, June Jordan, how they used to get together at her apartment in Brooklyn and uh, you know how they really helped shape that space for generations to come. Um, And Wayne State University Press has a somewhat similar book, only from the academic side. Uh, It's a great book about Black women leaders writing to the next generation. Um, And it's called Dear Department Chair. Uh, Oh, and then the other one that really caught my attention was Syracuse University Press has uh, just a fantastic looking thing uh on the urgency of indigenous values by a local writer actually who's at Syracuse uh which was blurred by Robin Wall Kimmerer who did Braiding Sweetgrass which is you know kind of a big book that really crossed over so this is just a tiny representative sample there there are so so many other books to look at um but those are the ones that kind of captured my
0: imagination you mentioned uh, braiding sweetgrass at the end. Uh, you know, I'm f- I'm very fascinated by these sorts of uh, you know crossover books. It's really important, I think, for uh, you know, I living living in New York. There's, I think, New York probably has more independent bookstores than than anywhere. Uh, and I always like to go and and see uh, you know the books that they're putting and and it's always interesting to see university presses and which ones they're featured. Uh, so you know, w- what's the 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 reason you know for well-known scholars who might have the opportunity to publish with a larger trade press you know why do so many well-known scholars still go and choose the university press route instead of the trade press route
1: yeah that's a great question and um you know i'd like to believe that it has something to do with mission and alignment with with the fact that we are nonprofits that we're not out to you know we're not massive revenue generators. Um my guess is sometimes it has to do with that for sure, mission alignment, but also um frankly, there it's the prestige factor. So as you said at the top of the hour, uh the reputational value of publishing at a university press is it's kind of um it's the gold standard, you know. This the work that we put out is incredibly well vetted. So you need to get your proposal. You need to attract first uh the attention of your acquisitions editor sometimes then a series editor um then the project needs to go through full peer review sometimes more than once Uh, and then it needs to be approved by a faculty editorial board so it's like extraordinarily well vetted and so i think probably uh people People like to come to us for that reason because they they take scholarship and research incredibly seriously, uh, and they know that university presses are basically building the scholarly record and that we can be trusted in what we're putting out. Yeah, it's just a much more rigorous process.
0: So much of uh, the history of New Books Network is t- is we were initially uh, not not myself but Marshall Poe, the founder of New Books Network. He was inspired to start New Books Network because of Wikipedia. And the problem that that he saw with Wikipedia, and he writes this in in the profile that he did on on the history of Wikipedia in the Atlantic back in 2006 or so, is that you know you don't really know where that information's coming from. You don't know who's writing it. It's not clearly vetted. So the idea of the New Books Network, you know, we cover all sorts of books, but we really focus on university press books because we know that that if you want to hear. If you want to know about a topic, you want to hear it from the person who is the subject matter expert, and you want to, not only from the person that's the subject matter expert, but from the subject matter expert who has been vetted by the other subject matter experts. Uh, so you have like these multiple filters that just really ensure that the, that the quality is there. And, and and I think you're right. I think that that's why uh, so many people still go with with the the, the university presses. And, and you know, I, I spend so much time going on the university press uh, websites and just browsing the books and just the quality really is, is unbelievable. Uh, you know, it, uh, on the flip side of it, there's, there's of course many early stage scholars who are looking to publish. Maybe they have a dissertation that they want to hone. Uh, they have other idea for a book, you know, how do university presses help early stage scholars publish their work and advance their careers?
1: uh well that is one of the things that we specialize in and uh every press i've ever worked at has proudly had a very large number of first-time authors on our list uh first books is something that uh we really like to promote we like to be responsible for uh discovering new scholars you know there's we're very collegial we're fantastically collegial uh across presses but also um the the heart of an acquisitions editor needs to be deeply competitive so we're always on the lookout this is my professional track background so uh we're on the lookout for you know who's doing the most interesting new thing who's doing cutting edge scholarship and kind of really backing it up down to sometimes even like uh the graduate school level um can be incredibly helpful in that regard so we're out in the field we go to conferences we have book exhibits at those conferences but we also attend panels listen to scholars uh keep a real ear toward um uh junior faculty and grad students as i said you know we're happy to talk to grad students about their dissertations we don't like uh to publish just a straight up dissertation but revised dissertations are great they can be great books sometimes you don't want them to be a book. sometimes you hear the story and say you know what what you're doing next is going to be something more appropriate for us so let's talk then um but uh yeah how how do we help early stage scholars we we put on uh publishing workshops at our home universities and at public libraries at said conferences um we do everything we can. So it's interesting. When I started in this career, it it seemed like there was a great deal of a kind of a mystique around, oh my gosh, how do you manage to get published? And across my decades in this profession, uh, I have seen the really excellent work of um, demystifying that process really occurring at a more Broad general level, so editors everywhere are happy. In fact, they like saying, "This is what we need to do to work together. This is what we need to do to be better partners. This is how you write a book proposal. This is how you capture our attention." Um, Always think about the readership. Who is your reader? Uh, How are you trying to like get your main points across? How are you structuring your argument so that you're making? the reading process as enjoyable as possible, that sort of thing. What's your narrative thread? Uh, What's your through line? That kind of thing. So, um, which is not always the way a scholar is thinking about it. A scholar is, you know, thinking about getting some sort of problem solved, but an editor at a publishing house knows how to turn that into a readable book. And that's why I always like to focus on um, the importance of that partnership you know. Uh, publishers, of course, are nothing without authors. But I think particularly today with the rise of self-publishing, some people think, oh, authors don't need publishers. What do we need an ad- editor for? Well, you know, <laughs> a lot. You need an editor for a lot because we're, we're publishing professionals and we can uh, help you shape that manuscript. Uh, once we accept it, you're getting, you know, the absolute top tier copy editing and proofreading and design and production. Um, and then once the book goes out into the world, you're getting amazing publicity and marketing and promotion. And uh, you're getting it in print. You're getting it in digital.
0: Thinking that that uh, that one doesn't need an editor is a uh, is definitely. Uh, I, w- I would say it's a it's a foolish uh, <laughs> foolish thought. Everyone everyone can benefit from an editor on some level. And I think also too, like if a person writes something and it's just for a particular audience, then you know it's maybe publishing in a journal is a better approach. What's great about the university presses is that even though it might be uh, your book might just be read by people in your field, uh, it also you know leaves it out there open for people across other disciplines to go and, and see what's being written. Um, I don't know if you've seen the documentary "Turn Every Page" about Robert Cairo and Robert Gottlieb but it's just no, a one- but i want to yeah yeah it's just a wonderful documentary and i recommend it to everyone uh, you know just seeing the relationship between the scholar and the editor and how important a great editor is for a scholar it doesn't matter how related to a scholar you are and if you spent 10 years studying a topic everyone needs to cut uh, so you know a great editor really does make a huge difference
1: yes 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 and great editors uh, can help shape academic fields you know, this is something that's often not visible. Um, but I really want to emphasize the professional value that we bring to academia and, and, you know, the larger world in that regard, there are editors who have been working for decades and, you know, have just such an eye for talent and then go back and get those authors to, to work with them over and over again, or, you know, then the authors go on to other presses or whatever, but, um, uh, there are people without whom the Academy would look really different and you may not even know their names because we sort of work in the
0: shadows. Exactly. Yeah. The, the readers are, are so, the first readers are so essential. Uh, right. You know, it's not just about the writers. It's the readers are, are can really be, be just as important. Uh, you know, you know, another, uh, topic, something you you introduced to me. Uh, before before this conversation, but I find it utterly fascinating is the, is the concept of bibliodiversity, uh, and mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could introduce listeners to to this concept of bibliodiversity and why it's so important for the world of university presses.
1: Yeah, thanks for asking about that. That was sort of a new term for me too. Just in recent years, it apparently came out of a group of Chilean publishers uh at some point. I'm not even sure. In recent decades, it's relatively new-ish. Um, and people in the library world, I think maybe are maybe uh are more aware of it even than those of us in publishing, but it's sort of like the idea of uh what biodiversity is in the environment. That's what bibliodiversity is for books. Um uh it's the idea that there's a mix or a range of different types of books that are needed. It can't all be Stephen King and nothing against him. I love him, he's a great writer, but his publisher is probably really happy to publish him because he's going to make them millions (laughs) and we can't just choose to publish or let me pull back say if that's the only thing we were choosing to publish things that would make us millions of dollars then it would be a very sort of homogenous uh culture right um so we need uh the principle of biodiversity says we're all richer for there being this greater mix of books you know um you you need some that are just you need like the poetry chapbooks that are, are going to sell 200 copies and change somebody's life who comes across them and uh uh you need you need it all so that's what that is and university presses are really good at that because we publish across so many different areas in the humanities and social sciences and natural sciences uh and some business and econ and labor, an awful lot. We publish across a huge, huge number of uh, subject areas, which adds to the bibliodiversity.
0: Yeah, the way I imagine it, almost it's like that that experience of of being in a uh, in a university library and walking through the stacks and just seeing books on every topic imaginable, and just this like this this physical representation of knowledge and just the unbeliev just there's so much just the unbelievable amount of things out there to learn. And I always think about it this way too, that it's like, you know, it, it's great to have this, you know, it's great that that university presses do multiple subject areas because it does, I think, get people to read in different fields. And I think that a big part of inspiring people to think differently about things is you might be a historian, but if you spend some time reading sociologists or reading economists or reading whomever, then it will help maybe help you rethink uh, your field uh, and the particular problem that you're working on that maybe your narrow approach might not exactly be the way to to figuring a problem out. And that's just the value of this sort of bibliodiversity. Uh, you know, it, a, a question I had too, and this is is maybe something that that you're all still working through, like everyone is. But you know, how are UPs addressing the opportunities and challenges posed by artificial intelligence? And I only ask that because it is the sort of question on everyone's mind with so many it, it, with so many fields about how artificial intelligence is upending things.
1: Yeah, it is on everybody's minds. I was recently at uh, a meeting of university press directors uh, just a few weeks ago, and it's what everybody wanted to talk about. We weren't talking about the hybrid office anymore. We weren't talking about the post-pandemic landscape. Uh, We were talking about AI. What are you doing about AI? (laughs) And, you know, it is a very new and kind of a strange development. And uh, we're grappling. Without may play out. Uh, We're beginning to gather resources. Um, We are alert to both the opportunities and the dangers. Um, uh, But there's not a lot that's really been sort of uh, coherently formed in that space yet. It's it's sort of like when the internet was new, right? It's it's kind of like the wild west. We're trying to keep our eye on the landscape and see what everybody else is doing. So there's a lot of chatter. Um, uh, but like I said, at this point, it's it's mostly just um, uh, being alert and uh, watchful and talking to one another.
0: Part of the the beauty of of these books is knowing that some an individual worked on them, that they, you know, ever, the sentences that you read was crafted by a person, you know, obviously, I I think some of the potential applications might be for creating translations before, you know, before you're able to get the, someone to actually painstakingly go through and translate. So it might, it might open up the world a little bit in that sense, but it's definitely something that I'm a little worried about, I I think.
1: It's yes. And I think actually with translation, that's already happening, right? Isn't that what Google translate is? And Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: that, that, Horses long out of that barn <laughs> and uh it's it's really sort of dizzying both the opportunities and the potential
0: uh pitfalls
1: yeah
0: my final question just to sort of bring it back to you know why why we're talking in the first place U, up week university press week uh you know what's the best way that our listeners can can you know in air quote celebrate university press week like obviously you know, I recommend people go and and for press week go and go and buy a couple of press books. Like, of course, do do that. That, that you know, f- find a good a good book that you've been wanting to buy and read. That's never been a better time. Christmas and and Hanukkah and, and all the all you know holiday gift giving holidays are coming up. So I definitely recommend we'll go out and buy some books uh, and, and for, for for their friends. Uh, but but you know, what are what are some other ways besides just you know buying some books that you recommend that people can celebrate Up Week.
1: Well, you completely took my top answer, which is for (laughs) sure buy books, Um, but also support your local libraries. Um, Talk to one another. You know, building community really is feeling more urgent than ever. Talk to your neighbors. Talk across the aisle, so to speak. Um, uh, Fight book bans. Uh, Read to your kids. Read to other people's kids. Go to the shelter and read to dogs. Do you know that people do that? <laughs> I'm I'm very serious that uh it it really helps the dogs. And if you're a lonely person, you can you can go read to the dogs. Um take a look at our gallery and find some of those uh books that I was referring to earlier. Um and you know, I just wanna say too, it is so important and, and I'm so delighted that in 2012, the association um, chose to go ahead and and have this week devoted to what we do, um, because what we do is essential. We publish terrific scholarship, amazing authors, um, and I'd really like to uh, uh, emphasize the diversity of publishers who participate. They're from huge presses, Oxford, Cambridge, California, Chicago, Harvard, Princeton, Um, But also really tiny presses, Texas Tech and uh, Northwestern's a small press, um, Medieval Institute, you know, tiny little presses. Um, They're from within the U.S. and around the globe. Um, And, uh, you know, here's a fun fact. Did you know that 40 Nobel laureates in economics were published by university presses just since the year 2000? 40. 14 Nobel laureates in literature, 11 in physics, uh, four national book award winners, including Nikki Finney for poetry in 2011. Her book had often split, uh, won that year. It was published by Troy Quarterly, which is an imprint of Northwestern University Press. I was the brand new director there at the time. Uh, She was nominated and we went to the awards ceremony uh, and she won. And John Lithgow was the host that year, and he said after she gave her acceptance speech that it was, and I quote, the best acceptance speech for anything that he'd ever heard, right? Uh, That acceptance speech actually can be, you can Google it, you can find it online. It is included as the recording of it is at the Smithsonian um, in the National Museum for African-American History and Culture. So Shout out to Parnesha Jones, who acquired that book uh, and is now the current director at Northwestern. Um, So that's why it's important to celebrate University Press Week. Uh, Those are the sorts of stories that people I'd like people to remember, um, the sorts of stories I'd like people to share with one another about the importance of reading and literature and uh, gaining knowledge vetted knowledge trusted knowledge as you said earlier uh without which there can't really be any human progress i think you know i always think at the end of the day uh we read to learn why do we want to learn to get smarter why is that important uh because if we can't cultivate wisdom how will we ever uh cultivate compassion for sort of a saner world
0: (laughs) (laughs) you know well said the university press world is this kind of base with which the rest of the literary and academic and scholarly world sits atop of. That, like it, real it really is so crucial and key to it that it's like it's something that people forget about. But like you said, like it has launched so many careers, so many people that are are ha- have made m- massive breakthroughs in in many fields. You know, the reason why they got their start was because a some in acquisitions editor somewhere read a manuscript and decided people should read this. Uh, yeah, and, no, that's so important. Right.
1: Yeah. And- Judith Butler, Charles Mills, uh, Jill Lepore, Pierre Bordeaux, Patricia Hill Collins, Matthew Desmond, uh, Sarah Ahmed, Richard Rorty, Eric Foner. uh, this year's Nobel Laureate in economics, Claudia Golden has published with Oxford, Chicago, Harvard and Princeton I think. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, th- those are those are some those are some big hitters. I, J- Jill Lepore uh in particular I am I'm a huge Jill, Jill Lepore fan. I love uh love everything that she writes. She's just one of the best writers. Uh and you know, I'm also Richard Rorty is a special place in my heart as just a great uh philosopher writer of philosophy. Uh But it, you, know, you, you know, yeah, I, I mean we could we could sit here and we could, we could probably gush about all the amazing it's giving feeling a
1: course. little grandiose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I,
0: you know, it, def, it definitely gets, it can get, can get like that, but you know, if there's any place to do it, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely here. Um, well, Jane, it was so, so great to speak with you and to talk to you about University Press Week and the work that you're doing at the Association of University Presses. Um, it was really wonderful to have you um, and, and just, yeah, you know, everyone go out, you know, buy a book for someone, you know, it's a great, giving someone a, a, a well- chosen book is one of the best gifts that you can give someone so now just go ahead and do it it's great i couldn't agree
1: more thank you so much for the opportunity caleb have of a course. great day
0: you too